This is Chris Brooks. Thank you for listening to this edition of Equip. Be sure and subscribe for free so that you don't miss an episode. For more information, visit our website, equipradio.org. Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to another exciting edition of Equip with Chris Brooks. I am so thrilled that you've joined me today. Can you do me a favor? Strap on your seatbelt. We're going to navigate through the contours of culture, as always, with the lens of the biblical worldview on. But before we do that, let me remind you, this is the day that the Lord has made. He has given it as a gift so that you and I can rejoice and be glad in it. So let's do just that. Let's follow the word to the Apostle Paul. Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And with that, I welcome you to what will be a great day here on Equip. We're going to get into God's Word together, study one of my favorite books of the Bible, and help you to be able to to see the teachings of Jesus through fresh eyes. I believe it's going to be a huge blessing. What would it be like... Can you imagine being a fly on the wall in a conversation between Jesus and his most intimate friends, Jesus and his disciples? Can you imagine being in the room? What would you pay for that type of access to simply be able to sit there and watch Jesus as he teaches his disciples, as he breaks bread with them, as he expounds upon the kingdom, as he explains the meaning of passages that we have read over and over again, giving us a true understanding from the heart of God. I'm telling you, that would be well worth the price of admission, whatever it was. Well, here's the good news. We don't have to pay to have that type of access. We have it every time we open up the Word of God. Every time you read your Bible, it is as if you're a fly on a wall in a conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. Every time you read the Gospels, it's as if God is inviting you into the room where it all happened. Well, today we're going to look at what's been called the farewell discourse. You know, throughout the Gospels, there are several, five to be exact, long conversations or what's known as discourses that Jesus had with his disciples. These are times where Scripture records him just sitting with them and explaining and expounding upon the heart of God, upon what's most important upon the things that are happening here and now and the things that are yet to come, the things that lie ahead. And today we're going to listen to a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples recorded in John chapter 15. Now, John chapter 15 is one of the most celebrated chapters in all of Scripture, certainly in all of the New Testament. And it really just zeroes in on the question of, How is the Christian life meant to be lived? And to maybe put it another way, how do we live a fruitful life? Like, I don't know about you, when I stand before Christ, I don't want to go before him and he say, man, you squandered my grace. You really weren't doing the things that I wanted you to do. You didn't live the way that I wanted you to live. I want to live knowing that what I'm doing is bringing him pleasure that what I'm doing is actually making an impact both now and for eternity. And so that's what chapter 15 delves into. What does it look like to abide in Christ? What does it look like 
for us to live in a way that bears much fruit. Now, before we dive into this message, let me just start the day by saying thank you, thank you, and thank you. Our partners, our supporters, those of you who prayerfully and financially express your generosity in both, again, prayer and giving, you are so important. You're the fuel in our engine, and I'm telling you right now, we're so grateful for your generosity. I want to say thank you to everyone who has supported Equip this month, but I also want to extend this invitation. If you've been listening and you've been blessed and you have never given to Equip before, I would encourage you to do so. So many have uh, not given to equip in the past and so that are listening, that have been blessed. And I know that so often life gets in the way, maybe we get busy. So I just want to encourage you, please today, if equip has been a blessing to you and you want to see the word of God and the gospel touch your community in a greater way, can you stand with us today? 888-644-4144 is the number. That's 888-644-4144. Or as always, go to equipradio.org. All right, grab your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 15 as we talk about abiding in the way. We've been studying what's known as a farewell discourse. This is Jesus's uh, final time of teaching and communion with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Last words should be lasting words, and these words should have a bold imprint on our hearts. And today we enter into what would be known as the Thursday of Holy Week. This is right before Good Friday. Friday. And we're going to spend a couple of weeks just looking at what Jesus declared and what we call the upper room uh, discourse as well, where Jesus is just unfolding for his disciples what life would be like for them once he ascends to heaven. Now, you have to imagine how unsettling this moment must have been for them. Up until this point, they have had their teacher, their rabbi, their leader, their guide with them in physical form. If they had questions, they could go to him. If they needed disputes to be settled, he was the one who did it. If they wanted to know what the plan was for that day, he told them uh, when they woke up in the morning as the sun rose. But now, physically, he was going to uh, his father in heaven, and uh, he declares that to them. But he says to them he would not leave them as orphans in this world. Jesus said, it is more expedient for you that I go away. Well, how is it better for for them that Jesus would go away physically because he says when I go away the father will send the Holy Spirit in my name and the Holy Spirit will abide in us He goes on to say that he will guide you into all truth. He will bring to your remembrance everything that I taught you. He is your helper. The Greek word there is paraclete, meaning encourager, counselor, comforter. We have the greatest helper, the greatest encourager, the greatest counselor, the greatest um, uh, empower that the world has ever known living inside of us. And how many, by the show of hands, believe it to be true what Jesus declared that The spirit of the living God lives within you. How many believe that to be true? Praise God for for that truth. But that's more than the academic truth, friends. That's a practical truth that comes with great expectation. What are you going to do with all that power? 
You got so much power living on the inside of you. What are you going to do with all that power? One of the saddest things in the world is for you to have power that is unutilized. You know, so often we talk about the word potential as if it's a good word, but potential really refers to, in a scientific sense, unutilized power. There's another word that's even greater, and that is kinetic. Kinetic means that this power is being utilized. Now, Uh, As it pertains to God, God has no potential. And what I mean by that is that he is not sitting on unutilized power. He is maximizing his power, sustaining all things by his mighty word. And you and I should desire to maximize the powerful presence of the spirit of God in our lives. What are you going to do with all that power? One of the saddest winters for me was about four winters ago. And what made it sad for me is that it didn't snow that much that winter. Now you may say, why Why would that ever make you sad, Chris Brooks? It's because my gift, and I got a, birth, uh, a, a December birthday, so my birthday gift from my family that year was a powerful snowblower. Now what do you want to do when you get a powerful snowblower? You do not want it to sit in the garage unused. I couldn't wait to use that snowblower. As a matter of fact, I was hoping there'd be some little kids walking by the house. So when I blew the snow, I'd go flying on them. I, I wanted my neighbors to be out blowing their snow at the same time so I could show my neighbor how much more powerful mine was than theirs. I wanted to use that thing. I woke up every morning looking at the forecast, praying, Lord, let today be the day that it snows. And day after day, week after week, it did not snow. And I was so disappointed because that's what happens when we have power unutilized. We should desire to use it. So how do we utilize the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to John chapter 15. We're going to talk about what God wants us to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to look at verse 8 really quickly, and then we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. But look at verse number 8. When you're there, say a big amen. Amen. And he says, by this, my Father is glorified that you do what? Bear much fruit. Say it again. Bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciple, disciples. Now, how do you use the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is given to us there. It is to bear much fruit. Friends, God wants us to bear much fruit. He wants our lives to produce a harvest for him. And that fruit bearing is seen in two ways. One is seen in my character as I'm growing more and more like Christ each and every day, what we would often refer to as the fruit of the Spirit seen in Galatians chapter 5. But the other fruit is seeing men and women come to Christ. Now, you will never know the joy of seeing people come to Christ if you don't commit to sharing the good news that Jesus has come, grace has come. We don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. We don't have to live under the power of bad choices and and uh, oppressive habits anymore. That Christ has come to set us free. Have you shared that good news with anyone? A coworker, a friend, a neighbor, a family member? Today, I just want to encourage you 
to maybe text someone or call someone, or if you're having a lunch or a dinner or face-to-face, just share with someone the good news that salvation is found in Christ, that we can know freedom, hope, grace, forgiveness through Jesus. And watch what God does when we make the invitation. We're going to continue on in this message on the other side of this break. So don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip. really teach about homosexuality? Did Jesus mention it? Aren't the Old Testament laws null and void? These are questions many Christians face, and we must all be prepared to answer. That's why I want to recommend to you, Is God Anti-Gay? And other questions about Jesus, the Bible, and same-sex sexuality by Sam Albert. Request a copy today when you support Equip with a gift of any amount. Call 888-644-4144 or visit Equip. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. All right. Every month, we identify a resource of the month that we want to uh, present to you that we believe will really help you in your walk with Christ, help you to more effectively uh, bear witness of his goodness and grace, his love to others. Well, this month, the resource is by our good friend, Sam Alberry, wonderful author. Sam lives with the reality of same-sex attraction. He talks about it a lot, what it means to consecrate himself to the Lord, to live for the Lord, but also to war against the realities of your own desires that may be contrary to God's will for you. But he wrote a book that I think is really powerful entitled, Is God Anti-Gay? Now, this is a book that touches all of our lives. Maybe it's a question you've personally struggle with. Maybe it's a question that the young adult in your life is struggling with. Maybe there's a friend or a neighbor. All I can say, friends, is you will not regret getting a copy of this resource for yourself. It's not a long book, but it's a powerful book full of biblical truth and also wisdom on how to navigate that conversation. Why don't you do me a favor? Dial 888-644-4144. That's 888-644-4144. 4144 and request your copy of Is God Anti-Gay? A gift of any amount will send it over to you. And as always, the website's available as well, equipradio.org. All right, we're studying John chapter 15. Why don't you join me there as we continue on in the message, Abiding in the Way. The first way that we go about bearing fruit, and this is this is the big idea for today, is that disciples of Jesus produce fruitful lives. But how do we produce fruitful lives? How do we bear much fruit for Jesus? Well, the first is that we must recognize our purpose. We must recognize our purpose. Look at um, uh, verses 1, 2, and 3. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Friends, this is one of the great warning passages of scripture. There's far more content in these verses than I have time to be able to expound upon. But I'm going to do my best to highlight the issue 
issues that I believe to be most critical for your understanding. The first thing you got to understand here is that this is a warning passage, and it comes on the heel of many warnings that Jesus gave concerning the fact that in the last days there will be many people who will fall away from the faith. He continues to reiterate this again and again throughout Scripture, that there are going to be many who will fall away and will not continue on in him. Saints, one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is I recognize in a room this big with so many people, not everyone will remain. That everyone is a disciple of Christ. Now, this is not a passage that declares the loss of salvation. This is a passage, I think, that reaffirms what's been called the perseverance of the saints, that Christ is able to keep us. He says that again and again as well, that he and the Father are able to keep us. And so those who have trusted in him will not lose their salvation. But yet here is a warning that not everyone who is around the things of God are actually in Christ. I want you to pause for a moment and consider this. It was just a chapter ago when Jesus predicted to the disciples that one of them would be a betrayer. That one of them would be a betrayer. And did you notice what happened when he predicted that? That each one of them began to ask him, Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? Lord, is it me? It's interesting to me because you would think that it was obviously Judas. We've had 2,000 years since then until now, and we've taught a lot about Judas. So we assume that Judas's uh, bad behavior, his lack of Christian con- uh, commitment, his uh, uh, lack of alignment with Christ was so clear so evident that everyone would have known that it was him. But the fact is, they didn't immediately say, oh, that must be Judas he's talking about. Jesus had to make that clear. They all, for a moment, had a moment of insecurity. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? I say that to say that sometimes it's not clear who is in Christ and who is not in Christ among us. But yet Jesus gives us a way to discern it. Jesus gives us a way to be able to know, and it is fruitfulness, fruitfulness. Now, he describes who he is. He tells us who the Father is, and then he tells us who we are. Who is he? He defines himself as the vine, that he's the plumb line. He is the vine to which all the branches are connected, through which the life of God flows. Now, this analogy of the vine is all throughout your Old Testament. And typically, it is understood to be Israel, Israel being the vine. I just want to give you one example of this. Isaiah chapter 27, Isaiah chapter 27, verse number 6. Here's the way Israel is defined. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Israel was uh, defined like a branch. But Jesus here comes and declares himself to be the true vine. I'm sorry, Israel was defined like a vine, but Israel, uh, but Israel wasn't the true vine. Jesus is the true vine and he uh, declares himself really to be the fulfillment of prophecy. That all those prophecies about a vine bearing fruit that will fill the world with fruit, that would fill the world with the glory of God, all of that is fulfilled in him. 
Now, why is that so important? Here's why it was so important, friends. It's because most of Israel in Jesus' day thought Israel as a nation, as an as a ethnic group, as the chosen people of God, they thought as long as I'm connected to Israel, my heritage will save me. That divine is Israel, and as long as I'm connected to Israel, that will be enough to save me. But Jesus comes to declare, no, I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. I am divine. It's not your ethnic heritage that will save you, not your nationality that will save you, but it's being connected to me that will save you. Now, I want to just fast forward to our day because we got a lot of substitute vines in our own lives. What do we think will save us? Maybe we think it's being connected to a particular local church. As much as I want you to be connected to Woodside, I want you to know it's not enough to be connected to Woodside. How many know you need more than Woodside to be saved? How many know you need Jesus to be saved? And the church said, amen. Uh, it's not a particular preacher or pastor that's divine. So as much as you may be connected and love your favorite pastor or preacher, they're not divine. Who is divine? divine. Jesus is divine. Make sure you don't uh, ascribe your salvation, your connection to any false vines that you think will give you spiritual life. There's only one who gives spiritual life and his name is Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and my father is the what? Vine dresser. Now we don't use that term vine dresser in our modern vernacular. He's the gardener. He's the gardener. He's the one that keeps the garden. And here's how he keeps the garden. Now, let me just say, I'm stepping on foreign soil with verse number two because I'm not a gardener. And so I, I will tell you what I've learned through research, but not through experience. Uh, but some of you have experienced what he's about to talk about, and you'll be able to relate. He says in verse number two, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, this is a simple act that becomes very clear when you are growing a plant or you're growing a tree, this whole breaking off of dead leaves. How many have grown a plant before and you uh, pretty frequently visit, check in on it, and if there's a dead leaf on it, what do you do? You cut it off, right? You, you cut it off. And here is the warning in the warning passage. If you are not bearing fruit... The warning is you'll be cut off. Now, this is not, again, a warning against those who are producing fruit in Christ, those who are true disciples of Christ, but this is a warning that should pique our interest. And what should be the question we ask? The question we should ask should be, what then is fruit? What does it mean to bear fruit? I'll get to that answer in a moment, but first I want you to see what happens with these branches. Look with me to Matthew chapter seven, uh, chapter seven, and verse number nineteen. Matthew chapter seven, verse number nineteen. When you're there, say Amen. And it says these words: Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. 
That's a pretty stern warning that every tree in me, every branch in him that does not bear fruit is cut down. So the question you should be asking yourself is, am I a fruit-bearing branch? Am I a fruit-bearing branch? Am I bearing fruit for Jesus? Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom? Well, let me finish going back to chapter 15 of John. Let me finish verse number two. Every uh, branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then it goes on to say, and every branch that does bear fruit, he does what? He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now this, this pruning again, it's the pulling away of anything that will block it from growing. Uh, God has no problem stripping things out of your life, out of my life, that is blocking the sun, that is keeping us from growing, keeping us from bearing fruit. You should not be surprised when God cuts things out of your life, nor should you chase after those things that God has chosen in his sovereignty to cut out of your life. If God has cut something out of your life, our responsibility response should be yes and amen in Jesus. How many look back over their lives and praise God now for what he cut out yesterday? How many thank God for his faithfulness? There are certain relationships that had I had my way would have remained, but it would have blocked my fruitfulness. There are certain jobs that had I had my way, I would have kept, but it would have blocked my fruitfulness. I praise God. I release the pruning shears into his hands and trust him that he will cut off those things that he knows will limit my ability from bearing fruit. Friends, we got to begin to pray this prayer. Lord, cut off those things that limit my ability from bearing fruit. And we got to do an inventory. If there are things in our lives that are slowing us down, that's stopping us from uh, producing fruit for Jesus, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a habit, maybe it's work, whatever it might be. Let's align our hearts with the primary goal of knowing Christ and making him known. We're going to take a short break. Don't forget, you can get a copy of the book, Is God Anti-Gay? by calling this number, 888-644-4144. We'll be right back. Friends, welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. Today we're having a fascinating time studying the Word of God, growing in it. I love Scripture. I love God's Word, and I pray that you do as well, that your heart gets excited at every opportunity to listen to the teachings of Jesus. You know, John says in, in, in John chapter, I'm sorry, Peter said in John chapter 6, when the Lord asked him and a few others, are you going to walk away from me like all the others? And John said, Lord, where else will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I believe that. I hope you do as well. That's why we're studying John chapter 15 today. We're going to go back into that great study in a moment. But again, let me remind you, as we start this new month, our resource for this month is written by Sam Alberry. is God Anti-Gay. What you will find in this book is an honest evaluation of scripture, as well as somebody who can relate to the struggle of the heart in this area of sexuality. We live in a day and age where our sexuality is one of the biggest areas of maybe confusion and celebration 
we need to understand what God's will is. The goal of our sexuality is not for our desires to dominate our story, but for his word, the gospel, to be the narrative that shapes our story of sexuality. I want to encourage you, get this book, Is God Anti-Gay? by dialing the number 888-644-4144. All right, grab your Bibles, John 15. We're going to go back into this study, Abiding in the way. What is the fruit that he wants me to be? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. Keep your finger in John 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 15. Look at what it says here. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit. Here he's about to talk about fruit. What is fruit? The fruit. It is lips that acknowledge his name. So that's the fruit that we're looking to produce. We're looking to produce fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. In other words, we want to be disciples who are making disciples. We want to be disciples who are acknowledging his name. How many want to do that in every area of your life? Acknowledge his name. When we are praising God in, in corporate measure and we're proclaiming him to be the way, the truth, and the life, we are lips that are acknowledging his name. But how many want other lips to acknowledge his name? How many desire that? What should we be praying for here locally? For more and more lips that will acknowledge his name. Today, that my neighbor's lips would acknowledge your name. That my children's lips would acknowledge your name. That my grandchildren's lips would acknowledge your name. That fruit for Jesus is seeing more and more people come to faith in Christ. More and more people putting their trust and faith in him is the type of fruit that we should be seeking to produce. So here's the question. How are we doing at producing that type of fruit? See, we'll never encourage others to acknowledge his name if we're not. But if we are in him, we will bear fruit. If we are in him, we'll know it because we'll acknowledge his name and we'll be encouraging others to acknowledge his name. Does that make sense? Amen. Now, let's go on. That's our purpose. So our purpose is to bear fruit. Repeat that with me. My purpose is to bear fruit. And he's going to go on to say, not just a little fruit, he wants us to bear what? Much fruit. Well, how do we do that? Well, he says, abide. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch withers and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This is what we just read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. He goes on to say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask anything, ask whatever, rather, you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's how you prove it. Verse number 9. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus gives us the reason why he is speaking these things. He wants us to be full of joy. Now the world, the marketeers of the world will give us their picture of what a joy-filled life looks like. What does a joy-filled life look, look like from a world's perspective? It is getting the next great toy, the next great possession, the next great thing. But have you ever uh, uh, noticed that that's a, a hamster wheel, that it's never enough, that there'll always be one more toy you have to get? The, the, the job of corporate marketeers, and if you're one of them, this isn't a criticism against all of you, just most of you. Uh, the, the job of corporate marketeers is to create within us this sense that our life is not satisfied or joyful unless we have the next great thing. I love the fact that contentment with godliness is of great gain. We need to praise God for what he's already given us in our lives. He's already given us the Holy Spirit. He's already given us his word. He's already given us his grace. How many know that if he doesn't give us another thing materially, that he's already been good to us? How many believe because of all that he's already done, that he is worthy of all the praise, glory, and honor, both now and forevermore? Can I get an amen for that? But Jesus says your joy will be full when you're bearing fruit. And I will tell you that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no greater joy than to see more and more people acknowledging him with their lips. There's no greater joy than to see more and more people coming to faith in Christ, people who are far from Christ, people who deny Christ, people who are ardent against the gospel, people who are broken and battered and bruised by this world, people who are longing for grace and healing. To see them come to faith in Christ, man, there is no greater joy than to see that. There's no greater joy than to see your children come to faith in Christ. I remember... Uh, we were going through a kid's Bible study at home, and my daughter, my oldest daughter Zoe, was about four or five years old, and we had gone through this Bible study, and me and my wife were at the dinner table, and we just kept talking, and we turned around, and we saw her kneeling at our couch, and we looked at her as that little girl acknowledged her sin before the Lord, prayed, and asked Jesus to be her Savior after having this Bible study prompted by the Holy Spirit and obviously encouraged by her parents. She did that all by herself. You talk about great joy. Every child in my house that I've been able to baptize, it's been through tears of joy as I cry like a baby as they're getting baptized because there's no greater joy. Jesus wants us to have this joy of knowing that people around the world are coming to faith in Christ. How many have great joy when you hear us report back to you that people in Thailand and in Mexico and in India and Romania and Ukraine are coming to faith in Christ because of the efforts of this church? How many have great joy in that? How many have great joy when you hear 
of of baptisms happening across all of our campuses. Every month, men and women going down in the waters of baptism, declaring Jesus is Lord. That should bring you great joy. And not just uh, what's happening here, but what's happening through all the churches that God is using for his grace and glory. Well, friends, we're going to pause that message right there. I hope it's speaking to your heart. I hope you're starting to see exactly what God wants to do in your life individually and what God wants to do through his church for his grace and for his glory. We're going to take our final break of the day. These breaks only give you opportunity to learn more about the ministry here at Equip. And uh, if you didn't know, we're a ministry dedicated to equipping Christians to more effectively live, share, and defend their faith. We do so by taking on the issues of our culture and applying the Word of God to them. This shouldn't be controversial, but sometimes it is. But that's all right. We don't run away from the tough questions. Our goal is to bring more light than heat and to help us to think critically and to live compassionately. Find out more at our website, equipradio.org. That's equipradio.org. Whatever you do, don't go anywhere. Much more to come next up on Equip. When you listen to Equip, you know I love to introduce you to some incredible guests and topics. But there's one person that I want you to meet more than anyone else. His name is Jesus, and he wants to have a genuine personal relationship with you. He even died on the cross to take the punishment for all of our sins so that we can join his eternal family. If you want to know more, simply call 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. Hey there, friends. Welcome back to Equip with Chris Brooks. As we go into this last segment of the study that we're in in John 15, let me just tell you, I don't want us to simply be hearers of the word, but the reason why I teach the word and why I present it to you now is because I truly do want to be persuasive. And what I mean by that is there's a a heart, a goal, a mission behind my passion for the word of God. It is that you might know the God of the word that you might know Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's ever died for our sins. He's the only one that has the power to free us from a life of um, really death, a life of um, bondage and brokenness. I know what it's like to feel like, man, I've messed up so bad. There's no way it can be fixed. I also know what it's like to see God mend the pieces of my broken life back together again so that I might have a testimony, so that I might have a story of who I was before I met Christ, how I met Christ, and who I am now that I have met Christ. Oh, what a change he's made in my life. So what I want to encourage you to do today, as you listen to the words, is do an assessment of your own heart, your own life, and ask yourself, is Jesus my Lord? I'm not asking you, are you a churchgoer? I'm not even asking you, are you fond of God, or do you just believe in God or a higher power in general? What I'm asking you is, have you made Jesus Christ your Lord? That's what the Bible requires us to do. And How do you know if you've made him your Lord? It's when you seek to know and obey his teachings. We study his his words, not just so we can get good advice, like from a self-help guru, but we study his word 
because we believe it to be true. We believe it to be the way of salvation. And because we've declared him as Lord of our lives. And so today, if he's your Lord, I want you to listen to these words as we finish our teaching in John chapter 15 and to apply it to your lives. Let's go back into the message, abiding in the way. Point number two here is we got to remain in Jesus. We got to remain in Jesus. The operative word that's used again and again through these last verses is abide, abide, abide in me, stay in me, remain in me. That makes life simple, doesn't it? I don't have to figure out the complexities of everybody's situation. I mean, there's hundreds of people in this room right now. I'm delivering one message and there are so many different life situations, but here's the good thing that I'm relieved of. I don't have to figure out every life situation. All I have to do is abide in this word. And as I abide in this word and declare his word to you, the Holy Spirit knows how to minister this word specifically to your life so that your eyes can be open to the truth. Now, I will tell you, There's great deception that is coming, friends. There's great deception that's not just coming, uh, but is upon us. The Bible talks about this, that the last days will be full of deception. And if you can imagine it as deceptive as these days are, that there are even worse days that are ahead Well, truth will be called lies, and lies will be called truth. What is right will be called wrong, and what is wrong will be called right, and it will be done in such a persuasive way. If it wasn't for the Lord keeping those who are elect, that even we would fall away. Thank God for his keeping power. How do you survive those days? You have to be beholden to the word of God. Whatever issue in life that is not informed by the word of God will be an issue that you will get wrong. I don't care how great your political commentators are. I don't care how great the cable news pundits are. I don't care what newspaper or magazines you read. I don't care what letters you have after your last name. There are a lot of educated fools that will be in hell. You can have a PhD and be on the way to death and destruction. The fact of the matter is, is that whatever issue that I'm facing that's not informed by the word of God, I will end up making a mistake on. So I need to abide, abide in him in order to get this thing right and in order to bear fruit. Now notice that he says, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And that doesn't mean you can't do anything physical or natural, but that means in the context of this passage, you can't bear fruit. You can't do anything of spiritual value. And so how do I abide in him? Well, I do it through prayer and through the word. Verses 7 and 8, abiding in him, asking whatever in my name. Now, why would he give me whatever I wish if I'm abiding in him? Well, he'll give me what I pray for if I'm abiding in him, because if I'm abiding in him, what I'll be praying for is his word. What I'll be praying for is more fruit. What I'll be praying for is, Lord, I'm not praying for you to give me something to make me happy. I'm praying that you'll give me something to make me holy. I didn't get an amen on that one. I'll just keep going. Sometimes you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. 
Verses 9 through 11 tell us that abiding in him means to love him, to remain in his love, and to obey him, to keep his commandments. He never separates love and his commandments. You can't say you love him if you're not keeping his commandments. But ultimately, friends, abiding in him brings great joy. I'm going to stop there. Again, I wish I had three more hours with you. It would be well worth the time. But I'm going to stop there to just drive home this point. If you're not abiding in Jesus, if you're not trusting and obeying, you won't know joy. You won't know real happiness. And some of you, you have lost joy in life. How is that joy fulfilled? It's not through vengeance. It's not through uh, going out and living out your pleasures in debased ways. Your joy is filled by abiding in Jesus. Trust and obey, for there's no better way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I want to challenge you if you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, no matter if you're eight years old or 80 years old or anywhere in between, today can be the day of salvation for you and you can know joy. And if you are in him, go forth and bear much fruit. And this is our Father glorified and that we bear much fruit and that many lips will acknowledge him. Let's pray, Father, have your way in us. Lord, produce fruit in us. And if there's anyone that does not know your grace and salvation, I pray that they would today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, friends, I hope that that message spoke to your heart and, and stirred your soul. I know, I love it. I love John chapter 15. As I said earlier, one of the most celebrated and uh, admired chapters in all of the New Testament. But as I was saying, as we started this journey, God wants us to be not just hearers, but doers of the word. He wants the word to transform our hearts and lives. So my question for you today is, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? I want to invite you to do so today. It wasn't too long ago that we received a call from a young man who said, uh, Chris, I'm in a dark place. I've made some decisions that have really disrupted and, and quite honestly messed up my life. And I don't know if I can get out of this pit. Well, that day he heard the gospel, like you're hearing it now, that Jesus is Lord, that there's only one way to salvation, and that is to surrender our lives to him. And that starts by acknowledging our own sin and turning to him and submitting to his teachings and his word. And he did that, and years later he called to say, my life is so much different now. I want you to be able to experience that. I want you to go from death to life, from darkness to light. I want you to go from hopelessness to hope. And there's only one way I know for that to happen, and that's for you to trust in Jesus. So today I invite you to do so. I want to pray with you. Pray with me today. If you want to invite Jesus in your heart, just, just say, dear Lord, today, I ask for you to be my Savior and my Lord. I confess and repent of my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. Fill me now with your precious Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, the good news is you are saved and God is at work in your life. We love to hear from you. Dial this number 888-NEED-HIM. That's 888-NEED-HIM. Until we're together again next time, as always, remember, Equip with Chris Brooks is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.